And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's go! What a catch! Mark Ward, that was a genuine late cut at the top edge, and he caught it as clean as a whistle. That's it, he smashed it to the boundary. That's Mark Ward's 100. 100 on debut, what a magnificent innings it's been. That's the 100 for Mark Waugh, back-to-back centuries, that's a magnificent performance. Welcome to a special edition of the No Dunks podcast, I'm Lee Ellis. Today I welcome to the program a guest who is very well known in the cricket world. A glorious and exquisite batsman, a handy medium pace and spin bowler, and still the finest slips catcher the game has ever seen. He won everything from the World Cup to multiple Ashes series and had a huge hand in Australia recapturing the Frank Worrell Trophy after almost 20 years in West Indian keeping. A Hall of Famer who made about the same amount of runs in both Test cricket and the one-day game, in all scoring over 16,000 for his country, and he even registered a fifer as a bowler in both forms of the game, cementing himself as one of the most versatile cricketers in history, and he did it all while having the best hair in the dressing room throughout his entire (laughs) career. And he joins me on the line from Central Coast, New South Wales right now. He is Mark War. Mark, welcome to the No Dunks podcast. G'day, Lee. Yeah, that was a good introduction. Not sure about the best hair in the dressing room, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll take that. I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but I, I did have a pretty good mullet there when I first started playing for Australia. Yeah, well, I, I think it was the style, wasn't it, in that, that the late 80s, early 90s? Everyone kind of had one, really. Yeah, if you didn't have a mullet, you weren't up to speed, so... Um, yeah, I just copied everyone else and, and thought I uh, looked okay at the time. Looking back, it probably wasn't the best uh, hair, but at least I had some hair then. It's sort of uh, thinned out quite a bit since those uh, days. Is that right? Yeah. Well, uh, look, in preparing for this, Mark, uh, look, I followed your career very closely anyway, and I, and I listened to a few other podcasts you've been on, so I'm going to try to avoid some of the questions that you've probably been asked, the same sort of questions, so it's hopefully not too repetitive for you, and also to give our listeners, which is, is, is you know probably an audience that isn't familiar as much with cricket and yourself, a bit more of an idea of who you are and, and what made you great at cricket. Okay. So I'll I'll start though where it all began because I know you were very naturally gifted when it came to sports. You know, mum and dad were very good athletes. Uh, you were good at soccer and tennis, golf and cricket. But what I want to know is, was there a sport that you tried as a kid that you just weren't any good at? You know, swimming or karate or, or distance running, something like that. Well, I mean, all ball sports um, we sort of we've played. Mum and dad were good tennis players, of course, and. My uncle was a very good cricketer. He was the leading run scorer for Bankstown Cricket Club, you know, the, the club that we played for when we were growing up. So there was always sport in the family. I must admit, I wasn't very good at water sports, you know, like surfing right. and, and those sorts of things, uh, skateboarding, you know, that, those sort of things where skiing, where you needed a bit of balance, even though I looked quite balanced on the cricket field. Like my right. balance on those sorts of things wasn't very good. So anything to do with a, with a ball, I was pretty good at. Anything other without a ball, not so good at. Yeah, because I imagine, you know, at school and stuff, uh, any time there was a ball sport, the other kids are probably like, you know, I mean, the war twins here are going to are gonna be pretty good at it. Um, and, and, you know, speaking of that, like I, I, playing cricket in Australia in the summer, every every kid does it. But 
I don't imagine it was a whole lot of fun for the neighbours of the War family <laughs> to turn up and play unless they just yeah. wanted to bowl all afternoon. Is that is that right? Well, our neighbours probably didn't play. It was, it was more our younger brothers, Dean and Danny, who were right. 10 years younger. Danny and yeah. Dean, four years younger. So they didn't get much of a battle of the bowl. They were just fielding most of the time. So I was myself and Stephen doing all the batting and bowling. So they were probably the... The ones that um, got the rough end of the stick, and yeah. in actual fact, Danny and Dean both ended up very good fields, and probably because that's all they did, <laughs> and they're in the backyard um, playing cricket with their older brothers. So, yeah, we didn't um, sort of play a lot with, with the neighbours; was more with the family itself. And then every right. now and then, mum and dad would sort of get involved as well. But um, it was just sport twenty four hours a day. As soon as you got back from from school, well, not twenty four hours, we did sleep, yeah, of course. But, but as soon as we got yeah. back from school in the afternoons, we'd just play cricket or soccer or whatever, tennis um, as well. Uh, they were the main three sports. And soccer and cricket sort of, uh, we got to a really good level, myself and Stephen, sort of as teenagers, and we had to make a choice sort of in the late teenage years, you know, which sport we'd sort of follow through with, and that was cricket. Yeah, so speaking of that, um, at the time, I mean, soccer's always been a big sport, but it probably wasn't that big in Australia at that time. Given the way that soccer is now, I mean, if you go back in time, do you think there's any chance that maybe you, you pursue soccer instead and maybe you're, you're lining up for Man United or, or Real Madrid or something like that? Or, or, or yeah. was it always just cricket just always had that pull? Well, it was always sort of 50-50. We're, myself and Stephen are probably pretty good at both sports on a, on a level, level par. But um, there's a guy called Robbie Slater who uh, went on to play for Australia and he commentates on Fox Sports now. He went on to play in England and France. We were actually in the same teams as him all the way through right. our junior soccer. We came from the same area. So I, I thought actually myself and Stephen were better players than Robbie when we were younger. So <laughs> you never know. Look, look, you don't know. Um, yeah. But, I mean, we did pretty well at cricket, so it's, it's hard to say whether we would have had the same impact at soccer. Um, you right. just don't know. But, um, you know, we feel that we, were, we made the right move. There's probably... A bit more money involved in soccer in yeah. those days. Probably not now with the IPL and those sorts of things. Crickets, you know, you can earn a lot of money at the highest level if you if you're a really good player. So back in those days, probably there was more money in soccer if you went went to Europe. Of course. Yeah. Are you a little bit surprised that Australia hasn't really done better on the world stage in soccer? I know in 2006 we made it out of the group stage, but other than that, I mean, when was it? 2018. I think we only scored two goals and they were both penalties at the World Cup. We seem to have sort of taken a bit of a step backwards uh, in, in that respect. Are you, are you surprised that we haven't given Australia's passion for sport and our development and infrastructure there, we haven't been able to, to you know, get uh, better results? Mm. Well, a little bit, but I mean, our, our best team was probably, what, uh, about eight years ago, I reckon. We were very competitive uh, in World Cups. We're probably, you're right, we've probably taken a little backward step in men's soccer, but women's soccer is probably... We've gone up the other way. Right. So, look, I, I don't know the reasons. Maybe the population. We don't have the same population as, as the big countries in soccer to produce players. Um, but it, it probably stems from our A-League, how strong that is, and, and yeah. maybe you know, players getting overseas experience. Whether that happens as much now, I'm not sure. But, um, I mean, we do okay, really, for the population we've got. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I want to start with your one-day career because that's where your career started for Australia. Um, you know, you started there about three years before you got your, your, your chance in the test team. But uh, what was interesting about your one-day career, when you came into the team, I don't know if you remember your first game, you didn't get a bat or a bowl. It was a pretty easy... Yeah, I do, actually, win. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but then, you, you know, you started to... Uh, you, you were shuffled around the order a lot. You were batting at, you know, four and five and three. And 
it wasn't really, you know, you were in and out of the side a little bit. It wasn't until a, a weird sort of five-game tour of New Zealand in 93 mm. where you opened. And apart from one game, you had either a 50 or a 100. And you really, it, it showed at that time the game was changing, really shifting away from basically just the test team being the one-day team. And someone like yourself, who was a middle-order test batsman, opening the uh, opening the, the, the batting mm. for Australia. And it had real success. But after that tour... Then you kind of went back down to sort of batting three, four, and five. It wasn't until like 95, 96 uh, where you did sort of cement your place there as an opener. So how did that yeah. 93 tour come about, and then why didn't it continue for for a couple of years? Well, when I first played for Australian ADIs, I was batting at sort of six and well, five and six. I, could, yeah. I never got a bat. I'd come in the last four or five overs. It was a little bit frustrating because we had a, a good top order um, and they took up most of the overs, to be honest, David Boone and Jeff Mark, Alan Border, <laughs> yeah. those sorts of guys. So I'd come in right at the end and get a handy little 15 or 16. So I was a little bit frustrated. But um, on that tour to New Zealand, you're talking about in 93, I got yep. dropped from the test team and Alan Border just came up to me at the start of the one days and said, you know, do you want to open the batting? And I said, yes, of course I do. And then I had a lot of success there opening the batting. Uh, and then... I pretty much stayed at the top there for the rest of my career. It might have been a few series there I, I, I wasn't opening, but um, yeah. yeah, I mainly stayed there from then on at the top. Well, I remember because then there was the Ashes Tour of 93 and, and you and Alan Border actually had a huge partnership in the one-day <coughs> game. Uh, I think it was Headingley, maybe Edgebaston, where um, you know, mm. Robin Smith made 160 in, in the English innings. That's right, yeah. And then you and Alan Border, you had 113. AB, I think, had 86. And But that was, again, surprising because you didn't open that game. You, you know, you no, came well, in... I think well, on, on an Ashes tour when you're playing one day, you, you basically got you got the same squad for the tests and the one right. days. So, you know, you pretty much you know, keep the, the openers from the test matches in the one days. It's not right. like there was two separate teams. So that's probably the reason why I didn't open. You know, they... I assume they went with um, Jeff Marsh and Mark Taylor, probably. I think it was. Um, I think Hayden actually opened. Um, oh, Hayden, there you go. Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, yeah. Test, your memory is better than mine, but yeah, yeah well, it's mainly because it's because <laughs> it's not like a specialist um, tour for uh, for one day. You, you, you yeah. got the same players mixing, so I, I guess they just wanted to keep the test players you know, up the top of the order opening in the, in the one days. Yeah, well, so you know, speaking of my memory, I mean, I, I do. I was a big cricket fan growing up as a kid. I mean, it was it was great. Obviously, you know, in Australia, everyone follows it. But when I was researching and preparing for this, you know, I was really going down some YouTube rabbit holes and looking back at, <laughs> uh, at, at over, you know, sp- especially your career because, um, it, you know, it was so influential for me how I played the game. Now, I, I, you know, I never played any high level, but I was always trying to bat like Mark War out there. Um, <laughs> And I even uh, I even had the uh, thigh pad, you know, everything. I had yeah. I had all the all of the Slazenger gear out there. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in 1996, uh, the World Cup there. You, personally, you had an incredible tournament. Uh, you, you got a couple of centuries at the start there. But uh, what I what I really noticed was how similar the semi-finals were in '96 and then '99 against South Africa. In '96 against the West Indies, Australia four for 15 after nine overs. And then uh, Bevo and Stewie Law steadied. We got to 207, but it was like, that's not going to be enough against the West Indies. They were then cruising yeah. at two for 165 with nine yeah, overs to go right. before. Yeah, I mean, they fell apart. And then three years later in England against South Africa, 213 Australia made there. Another bit of a slow start. Steve got a good 50. South Africa's cruising, none for 48 without loss. Then Warney comes in and takes those three wickets, two and a half wickets, I will say, because uh, I think yeah. Ronya just, uh, just yeah. sort of shuffled well, it. Look, it looked out, actually. I thought it was yeah. out live. But he Is that right? So, 
Yeah, well, so I, I was watching that over and over again. I think Warney was just trying to sort of, you know, con the umpire a little bit. He was charging down there. You almost sort of hesitated a little bit when you caught it as if like, I'm not sure he hit that, but everyone else is going crazy. Um, and Hansi didn't like it. He, he didn't want to go at all, but uh, it, it yeah. was... Well, that, that was one of those dismissals that actually looked out live. You know, right. if you were the umpire, you can understand why he gave it out because it yeah. looked like it, it hit the edge of the bat. Um, obviously, it sort of come out of the footmarks, and I think Cronje might have hit his foot at the same time. Yeah. But to the naked eye, it actually looked out. So yeah. You, know, yeah. you couldn't say it was a bad decision. No. Um, even though he wasn't out, it was just one of those things. But um, yeah, that '96, uh, the '99 semi-final against South Africa, that was the, the most memorable one-day game of cricket I've played in. I mean, that was yeah. amazing. It was so nerve-wracking to play in it, let alone watch it. It's probably worse watching actually if you're a fan. You, you know, and I was feeling at uh, deep mid-off a lot of the time when Lance Clusen was batting, and he was yep. hitting the ball so hard. He never missed hit a ball yeah. that, that whole tournament. Until right at the end in that over, Damien Fleming bowling, he missed hit a couple. That was the only time he missed hit a ball. So you, you sort of, as a feels, when you you sort of want the ball probably not to come to you, even though yeah. <laughs> you know, you, as a feels, when you should want it to come to you. But at that stage of the game, it's, it's so nerve-wracking. And one little mistake, you can lose the game. And we dropped, Paul Rifle dropped a catch. Oh. Damien, uh, Darren Lehman missed the run out uh, yep. in that, what was the last over from point-blank range. And, so they said that South Africa cracked under pressure, but we really did as well uh, a couple of times. We had our chances to win that game. And as it turned out, I was lucky enough to field the ball at mid-off and do the backhand flick, which just yes. missed the stumps. Yeah, that's then, so yeah. were you trying to run out basically whoever is at that non-striker's end? Yeah. I mean, were you, yeah, you were. I thought so. But, yeah, no, uh, it, I was just concentrating on picking the ball up first of all because it was a bit of a, a scungy shot, sort of yeah. a, bounce, a bit rough to me just off the edge of the square. So... You know, I just come across in one motion, picked it up and flicked it. The, the backhand flick, I sort of learnt from playing indoor cricket when I was a young, right. you know, youngster. So it was quite a natural, you know, throw for me, the backhand flick. So it wasn't like it was a, you know, a really um, extravagant bit of fielding. I was quite used to doing that flick. I was just dirty. It didn't hit the stumps, actually. Yeah. Um, do you think um, how much... Cleaned it up. Yeah. I mean, so two things as well about that. How much do you think the ball prior where Donald basically did back up a little too much and he nearly got run out by Buff there, did that affect him what he did on that next next one? Because I think Klusner was probably in the wrong, wasn't he, for calling him through yeah. there? Well, he shouldn't have called him through. I think there was still three balls left in the over, yeah. two or three. Now, if it I, got to the last, last ball, you'd obviously have to run. But I would have thought Klusner would back himself to hit you know, hit a, hit a run from the next two deliveries, you know, so they just panicked. You know, they didn't have to run on that delivery. They, they got away off the previous one where there was a mix-up and, and Darren missed the stumps. They, they just, what they should have done was Lance Clues said, okay, we're not running. I've got the next two balls. I'm going to back myself to hit it through the field. Yeah. If I don't happen to hit it uh, through the field, then we've obviously got to run from the last yeah. ball. But they, they just, um, yeah, they, they stuffed up really, let's be honest. Yeah, well, uh, you know, you mentioned the Paul Rifle drop catch. I mean, it wasn't just a drop catch, but he he, he spooned it over. Yeah, he spooned it over the fence yeah. for six. I mean, um, you know, look, you're in a World Cup. You're all on the same team, of course. But how how deflating is that when you're just like that could have been the game right there, and, yeah. and instead, you know, you almost give it handed over mm. to them. And he had good hands too, Paul Rifle. Yeah. Obviously, from Victoria, where you are, you're from Victoria. Aren't you? That's Melbourne. right. Yep. Even being an AFL player, you know, it was a perfect <laughs> AFL catch, wasn't it? Just above the head. So he that's had very right. good hands. So that's just pressure. And, you know, that happens when you're under pressure. You can make a mistake. So, 
at the time we all dropped our heads a bit, but in the end yeah. it, was, it was all okay. Yeah, well, um, and then, you know, when you, when you get to the final, you play Pakistan in the final there, and a bit of a fizzer really, wasn't it, the final? Yeah. Because, uh, you know, you didn't have to chase all that many. I think you finished about 37 not out in the end, but it was you're only yeah. chasing 120-odd. Um, but given the fact the two games prior, I mean, you, you you guys were gone against South Africa in the game before that until yeah. Herschel drops the catch. Yeah, uh, off Steve, Steve yeah. of course. Now, is is it true what Steve said to him? I mean, I know it's out yeah. there, but he said that? He said, he said something like, what's on the record? Yeah, it's hard to get much out of Stephen, but um, <laughs> it, it, was, it was, I think, pretty much like what's been in the... In the you know, in the press and what's, yeah. what's around, the, around the place that you just dropped the World Cup, something like that. It was something similar, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, the you know, Herschel, like, he, he he threw the ball away too. It wasn't like he fumbled it. He, he just... No, he, he caught he, it, he, but he... Yeah. He was just a bit impetuous in, in celebrating. And as oh. it went, it was... Yeah, Crazy it was, stuff. Like, he's, he's a good fieldsman too. He's got great hands, so... Yeah. Um, but, but almost it, too cocky with it, though. Like you know, I've, I've got this and uh, yeah. ended up dropping it. Um, just going. Can you hear quickly. the donkey in the background there? No, I don't know. <laughs> oh, there's an eagle going on it. Oh, farm, right, yeah. right. No, I, I saw, right. I saw, I saw a on. little news clip on him, and uh, he moves pretty well out there. I thought Kim, Kim hasn't tried to get him out on the track, has she? And uh, see if he can. Uh, well, he would. He, he gets in the way enough. He's always in the way. <laughs> driving around the farm in your, your farm vehicles he's always running in front of you or next to you or something or right up and down the, the fence line taking on the on the thoroughbreds yeah and no, he thinks he's not sure whether he's a horse a donkey a dog or a human he's a bit of everything yeah <laughs> he likes the ice creams though uh, okay. he does yeah he's, yeah he's good on the tooth good on the tooth <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, just quickly back to the 96 World Cup. I mentioned, you know, personally, you had an incredible tournament there. Um, you know, you got the 126 against India. And then to top it off, when Sachin Tendulkar is just on a tear, you get him with the uh, the yeah, crazy stumped. white, yeah, stumped off a white. Ravi Shastri in the commentary box is saying, uh, "Oh, Mark War spot, spotted Tendulkar coming down the track." I mean, is that true, or is that just yeah, is that just one of the best bad balls you've ever bowled? No, no, it was, it was, of course it was. He, he played for the spin as well, which is a big mistake from Sachin. But uh, no, I pushed it through quicker and a bit wider. But um, yeah, I mean that tournament, I, I did have a good t- tournament, particularly at the start. I would have liked a few yeah. more runs in the semi and the final, obviously, but. Um, at the start of the tournament, I was I was playing well, and that hundred against India in Bombay or Mumbai was probably one of my best, you know, one day hundreds uh, in my career. I think. Oh yeah, that that was uh, incredible to watch. I mean, that was an incredible match. And again, I think if you don't get Tendulkar out then, yeah, I think India probably goes on to win that because he was just he was hammering uh, McGrath all over the place, and and yes. the, the pace was. Because those those ball, those pitches aren't super fast, are they? They their ball no. sort of sits up a bit, yeah. Yeah, they're not super fast, but um, I mean, Tendulkar was a great player, so you know. Yeah. You know, you don't 
you know, you're almost expecting to win win games under pressure for India, and he was pretty much doing that until a, a masterful bit of spin bowling, shall we say. <laughs> and then the yeah, uh, the chase. The one that doesn't turn is a beautiful arm ball. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the chase against New Zealand, uh, you know, because it was Chris Harris and Lee Jumon yeah. who, uh, you know, Chris Harris, I think, hit 130 that game. And uh, and you, you made another ton in that game, incredible century. But that was also when and Tubbs threw out Shane Warne to just sort of mix it up. And uh, Deepak Patel dropped in. But then Warney, I think, hit three sixes. He made 30, and it really got the team going again. Um that's nothing you don't really see anymore, though, in the game, is it? Like because everyone kind of mm. plays with that aggressive, uh, aggressive way from the start. Now, is that is that a fair uh, assessment of the current um, one-day game? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you see it a little bit where players are shuffled up the order just to go in and pinch hit. You know, I think there's occasions you you, you do see it these days. Um, in those days, it wasn't seen that often. But if you remember the World Cup uh, in 1990 in Australia. New Zealand and Sri Lanka sort of changed the way yeah. to play. You know, they're pinch hitters at the top, scoring quickly. Um, but, yeah, Warney, yeah, he, he came in a little cameo. I remember that innings in Madras. I, I actually, we fielded first and it was so yeah. hot. Oh, I think yeah. I might have bowled 10 overs as well. Yeah. And Chris Harris and Lee Jamun got runs. We didn't talk about them much in the in the meeting the night before. They were two bats we didn't, we didn't focus on. But um, when I first went out to bat, uh, there was not much of a break between our innings in the field and then going straight at the bat. And I, at the start of my innings, I actually started to cramp up in my calves, which I never cramp up at all. I thought, geez, this is going to be bad if I'm cramping up early on. But I, I managed to get through the innings, obviously, in those conditions. Chris Harris, who was made runs, he went out to bowl. He couldn't even run. He was cramping yeah. up running into bowl. I remember that. So yeah. conditions were really tough. Uh, and, I mean, that innings was... Probably not far behind my innings against India yeah, in the in the lead up game. So yeah, a couple of big big hundreds in, in tough conditions. It's always uh, you know feels good when you do that and, and get your team over the line. Of course. Oh, I, I'm sure it does because again, it's different when you're defending versus having to chase 280. Uh, you know, because a couple of wickets can really turn turn the contest back into the team that's defending there. But uh, as I say, you got the 100, then uh, Warney came out there and, and yeah. just nice little pinch hit. But uh, yeah. I, I want to shift now a little bit now to your, to your test career because you obviously started at Adelaide. We know about the big century there. But I want to go actually to your first tour, which was to the West Indies, to the Caribbean. Yeah. Uh, they were still a force. Um, and they won that series pretty comfortably in the end. I know you got a century, I think, in the last test match there. Um, but then the following season, 92-93, Australia's on the brink of winning the Frank Worrell Trophy. We only need 186 on that last day in Adelaide. And it disaster struck. I mean, uh, you know, like Kirtley and Courtney came in, and I think it was Tim May made 42, nearly, yeah. nearly uh, steered Australia home. Um, so, And then a week later in Perth, uh, Australia... Really did just look outclassed. Curtly, Curtly uh, Ambrose had that incredible spell, seven for one, and they recaptured yeah. it. And for Australia to be on the brink of, of defeating the nation, the country you know that had dominated us for so yeah. long, I mean, it must have just been devastating. I know Alan Border was obviously for him, especially towards the end of his career there, to have the to have the Frank Wall Trophy in his hands and and basically lose it in Adelaide and then and then yeah. Western Australia Perth it was just it was all over. I mean, what was it like for you still early into your career at that point? Well, I mean, the West Indies were a great team, you know, through the eighties and the early nineties. They, they were the benchmark. They were so dominant, 
And you really didn't expect to beat them when you played against them. I remember my first tour to the Caribbean um, where I, I did pretty well, actually. But I just remember the atmosphere in our squad, you know, was a bit um, negative. You know, we just we were just there to, to turn up and play without really having the, the confidence to beat them. So that was a little bit disappointing from my point of view. But personally, I, I was very uh, happy with the tour, even though I was playing some of the, the guys I'd looked up to, guys like yeah. Vic Richards. You know, you're on the same field as those guys. I mean, I remember their side. They had Haynes, Greenwich, Richards, Richardson, Dujon, Logie, yeah. um, Malcolm Marshall, yeah. Walsh, Ambrose, Bishop. You know, you don't get a much better team than that. And, and you're almost in all play against those guys. Um, yeah. So to be on the same field in the same dressing was it was amazing. But um, after that, uh, obviously, you're talking about in Australia where – Adelaide, where Craig McDermott was given yeah. out. After Daryl Hare gave him out. I'm, I'm not sure if it was out or not. But, um, anyway, yeah, that, that, uh, no, it was given no. out, and it was so frustrating to lose, to be so close and lose that test, then go to Perth. And let's, let's just give the West Indies the best pitch they can possibly bowl on a fast, bouncy <laughs> pitch with some grass on it. Let's just, let's just make it a little bit harder for ourselves. And um, Kirtley Ambrose was just too good on, in those conditions. It was ready-made yeah. for their quick bowlers, and... So yeah. close in that series, but, um, yeah. you know, so far, Alan Border was so disappointed because he just copped a hammering his whole career playing yeah. against the West oh. Indies. So and, and, and frustrating you, you for him. You mentioned it there as well. Like every kid, the thing about the West Indies is, like, they tortured us all in the, in the 70s and 80s there, but we also kind of like being, well, we all wanted to be Viv Richards as kids. It's yeah. like, I want to be Viv Richards, you know, I want to be uh, like the cool guy who just comes out there, no helmet, you know, yeah. chewing on the gum, the collar up, hitting sixes all over the place. And it was like, these these this this team just comes out here and pounds us every time they come out. But they're so much enjoyable. They're so much fun to watch. They're so enjoyable. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, he was my my idol, Viv Richards. So yeah, and all the descriptions you just said of him. That's that's what made him such a special player. But uh, they did not have a bad player in their squad. They, they no. really didn't. So no, and they had that aura about them. Um, everyone just loved watching him play. Yeah, well, so that brings us then to 95. Uh, and, and obviously one of the most, if not the most significant tour and series victory of your career. I, I'm sort of saying this myself because I, I, there's maybe there's something else, but it, just because of all that history and all that drama that have been around there, then you go back to the West Indies. And ironically, the series kind of went the same way as it did in Australia. You guys uh, won the first test. I think it was a draw in the second test. And then the third test, there was like uh, 234 runs total scored. Yeah. And Australia lost by an innings. I don't know. I just I was I was looking over that and I was thinking, how did that happen? I don't know. The pitch must have just been an absolute uh, uh, well, minefield out there. It was, was. It was a shocker in um, Port of Spain, yeah. Yeah. The yeah. pitch was very damp and you just needed luck to get runs. And, um, you know, you, you're facing those sorts of bowlers on those sort of pitches. It's very tough. So, yeah, I mean... One all going into Jamaica, into Kingston, which is traditionally um, a tough place to play for two oh, yeah. teams. And yeah, we just we just got it done. Myself and Stephen put on that great partnership, and and then we end up winning that game pretty easy. So it, it was really the change of the guard. I mean, change in the you know the the the, the people who are in you know, the best in, in world cricket. The West Indies have dominated for probably ten to fifteen years, and then we yeah. we took over. And since then, we've sort of uh, kept progressing, and the West Indies, unfortunately, um, you know, have have gone a bit, bit the other way. Yeah, there it is. you might recognise this. It's the uh, the Warpath photo. The, yeah, the yeah, just, ch- ch- yeah, yeah. I do, I do recognise that. So, I mean, yeah, 
I, I picked that up as as soon as they uh, had it for sale. I picked it up. It was yeah. only 150 bucks. It's worth. That's uh, cheap. But that, yeah. that 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 ground um, Kingston Jamaica is so intimidating. You know. It's, yeah. It's, the crowd just want blood. You know, they love seeing guys get hit in the helmet, and you know, it's just an amazing, um, amazing place to play. I must admit, when I went out to bat in that first innings, I wasn't confident at all. It's funny. Look, right. I, you know, I was just hoping to get runs, and then I got through the first twenty. I think David Boone was out before me. He got, I think, it hit brushed his helmet. Actually, he got given out caught behind a bouncer flying through, and then, you know, the crowd are just off their off their rocker, and yeah. I went out to bat. I think I've got a bouncer first ball. Well, I ducked it anyway. I don't think it was yeah. that short, but I thought a bouncer was coming and I got underneath it. Managed to get through the first 20 minutes and then I was right. The pitch was a good pitch to bat on. Obviously, Stephen played a great innings at the other end um, and that sort of set up set up the win. Yeah, I, I, I heard on another podcast you were on that uh, your dad, who used to uh, run a news agency, if ever there was negative stuff written in the papers, he used to hide them up <laughs> the back. So uh, yeah, no one... He did, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't like the Australian newspaper too, right. too too much. Not that they sold many copies out in the west of Sydney. The Australian, anyway. Yeah, I bet. Uh, I bet after the uh, after that win in Jamaica, there he probably moved a few more copies that that following. They were probably like, "Geez, why are we selling so many at the War News Agency today?" <laughs> yeah, he took it a bit personal, Dad. Yeah, he never never used to like when we got any criticism, which is going to happen. That's that's the game, yeah. isn't it? At the top yeah. level, but. Um, yeah, probably not the best business to be in if you get upset by the by the media having owning a news agent. Yeah, yeah so. that's right. But all, um, all was good on that occasion. Yeah. So you know, speaking of the West Indies, they they pretty much you know I, I I'm going to briefly touch on the '99 series because that was just an incredible series. But they've really been on decline since then, and to the point where they're largely irrelevant now, and which is really sad, really sad because. That was one of the tours we I remember used to most look forward to seeing. But when was the last time Australia even toured for a Test series in the West Indies? I mean, it doesn't. I don't. I haven't. I don't recall really one in the last um, five years. Anyway, but well, I was I was selected when we were there last time. I, I think um, would have been five six years ago. Yeah, because I, I, I remember having my fiftieth birthday in Dominica as a oh, selector. Right. So right. I'm fifty six. So that's six years ago. Right. But, you're right. The demise of West Indies cricket is is quite sad because they're so important to the the strength of world cricket at the moment. It's really India, Australia, New Zealand, and, and England, and the West yeah. Indies. They are they've got a few decent players, but for, for whatever reason, their crowds have dropped off. Yeah, they don't seem to have the facilities to you know provide um, you know a good uh, building block for for young players. The thing with the West Indies is you've got different islands, different countries, so it's a little bit segregated. Yeah. In that way, so uh, and American sports had a big influence, I think, on on the Caribbean, maybe to a certain degree. So yeah, it's disappointing, but hopefully they can you know get back up there. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I I hope so too, but it just feels like it's it's almost just too far gone now because you know you just like apart from Chris Gale, they just don't have anyone, and he's obviously uh, passed it as well now. But they just don't have that draw card. You know, they don't have that no. Viv Richards. They don't have that Kirtley Ambrose. Like again, watching highlights of that '95 Test, <laughs> Kirtley bowling bounces to you, and then the shirt's yeah. undone, and he's staring at you. And, and you know, I know yeah. Steve tried to fight him in Trinidad. I think it was as well. Like that was silly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, they, they don't. You're right. They don't have the big names. I think. I think their captain Jason Hole is about their best player, and they've got right. a few, a few young guys who have done bits and pieces, but nothing of the caliber of, of years gone by. So, I mean, they really focus on the short form cricket. T Twenty World Cups have yeah. won them. 
that seems to be their bread and butter where the money is. So that's where a lot of their players sort of, you know, are focused on, unfortunately. Yeah. So in '99, uh, you guys went back there. Steve's first game, first series, I think, as a uh, as a captain. In fact, um, as a touring captain, um, and first test goes pretty pretty much to plan. Australia wins, and then that second test uh, was in uh, Ken- King- Kingston, I believe it yep. was. And uh, Brian Lara comes out, and him and Jimmy Adams bat for an entire day. And Brian Lara plays one of the most sublime innings I've ever seen. Barely a false strike. He nearly got himself run out, though, actually on 99. He survived. But he played, and the crowd, I mean, that was a real throwback to those, you know, early 90s, late 80s crowds. And what I want to ask you is, 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 what's it like? How hard is it to keep your concentration in a situation like that where Lara, I mean, you know, McGrath's coming in a bowling and, and, and I think McGill plot bowled as well. He's just hitting everyone everywhere all over the place. How hard is it to just with the noise and the heat and the sounds and that for you to be like, I've got to be ready in case, in case a catch comes my way. Well, it's harder for the bowlers. So they're the one copying the stick, but yeah. as a, as a player and as a fields, but I, I mean, it's great. I mean, the atmosphere is unbelievable. That's what you play for. You know, you're slightly up against it and the crowd's against you, big crowd, the great players, you know, batting beautifully. I mean, as a fellow opposition player, you know, I don't mind seeing guys like Lara and Viv Richards make runs against your Tendulka. You know, they're the great players. So yeah. you, you quite enjoy it. Obviously, you want to get them out cheaply to win the game. But from a personal point of view, you know, it's it's spectacular when you're watching that, that sort of class of player making runs. Yeah. Um, and the atmosphere, yeah, I mean, I... I love it when you, you you're up against it and the crowd's ripping into you. I mean, that's you know you look at look at sport now with the COVID restrictions. Without a crowd, right. it's just so much different, isn't it? But yeah. um, oh. no, that's what you play for. You know, you you play to obviously win those games, but sometimes you you know the, the opposition are too good. And when Lara's on song, sometimes there's not much you can do about it except just you know sit back and watch it and clap what it, what he does. Yeah, I, I think it was McGill who threw a couple of full tosses in there as well, and it was just yeah, like, well, they would have went into the grandstand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, that was Barbados was a great place to play. Um, yeah, you know, good good atmosphere, all those sorts of things. You know, he, I think there's a guy uh, he gets dressed up every every day and comes to the crowd, and they sort of he stands up and they all applaud him. And then there's a guy called Mayfair and Gravy in uh, Antigua. They get dressed right. up and come into the into the ground as well. So real characters, those you know, Caribbean crowds, and yeah, yeah, lots lots of fun. Yeah, I, I imagine it wasn't. And again, I mean, Lara had another hundred and fifty in that series, and then he had another hundred. He had a hundred, uh, and I think the Windies were four for one hundred and thirty-eight at one point. I mean, it was a drawn series, but one yeah. of those just incredible, uh, like really good Test cricket. That's what that's what you sort of really miss with the Caribbean, uh, with the yeah. West Indies, because I just it's hard hard to picture yeah. that coming back. Well, you never know. Soon. There yeah. might be some young player pop out of nowhere. But I remember Brian Lara when I first played against West Indies. He was 12th man about 20 test matches in a row. Yeah. And he was, he was getting so frustrated, and everyone was saying what a great player he was, but he just had to bide his time because there were so many great players in front of him. But, um, yeah, they need someone like that to, to really you know, revitalise cricket in, in the Caribbean. So uh, that that happened in '99, and then a couple of years later, Australia was on the uh, incredible run of victories, and it looked like we were going to win in India for the first time in about 30 years as well. Similar sort of situation. Yeah. We were on top of them. Tendulkar goes in that second innings, and then uh, and then Lakshman and uh, Raul Dravid just Dravid. bat. I mean, they batted forever. 
Um, you know, Lakshman, that, that 280 is, is, again, also one of the most incredible innings I've ever seen because he just, it did not matter what the field was, who was bowling, he just hit everything. Um, you know, yeah. what, what, what was it like for you again? I mean, I know these are probably not great memories, but in, in terms of just being in that situation where Australia had been on such a dominant run, and we were about to win in a place that had been really tough to win in to go from that yeah. to then, uh, you know, like it turned around in one day, basically. It did. Well, we, we won the first test, didn't we, in Bombay? Yeah. And then the second test was in Calcutta and Eden Gardens. And we, we, we've pretty much, the first couple of days, we dominated that test match. We made yeah. India follow on. Yep. And I think it was a fair decision at the time uh, by Stephen. It was just a free partnership between Laxman and Drava, which turned the game. We just couldn't get a wicket. We, we bowled all day. I think I might have been bowling when Laxman got his 100. I think I served him up a nice full toss for him to get his 100. Um, bowling <laughs> that was nice of you. But, yeah, but, uh, I mean, that, that was just great play by India. And, and once again, Calcutta, Eden Gardens, there might have been about 80,000 people there. It was amazing um, atmosphere. So we lost the unlosable game there. And then the last two tests... Um, we had chance to win those as well. Even the last test in Madras, I think India got the mate down. Yeah. And there was a lot of close decisions that could have went either way. And unfortunately, they went against us. But that, that series was one of the best to play. And every test match was so close and, and such high quality that, um, you know, we probably deserved to win that series, to be honest. You know, I think we did, and, but we didn't. So that's, that's, that's the way it goes. Yeah, I mean, Harbajan was just – everything he bowled just seemed to sort of – I think 30-odd wickets, I think. It's something crazy like that. Yeah, or something? Yeah, and, and, and I think that was the first time Gilly really struggled too because Gilly had been batting so well. Uh, and I think he had like, you know, four innings in a row. He scored only two runs or something like that. He, he just yeah, he struggled. Got a, he got a couple of rough decisions, though. I remember one yeah. was a shocker. Yeah, um, yeah. There was a couple of LBs. But Punter struggled as well uh, with the yeah. spinners there. And um, yeah, I mean, it was well, just again, you? yeah, that 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 uh, that atmosphere. Because you, you say eighty thousand. I remember, I think it was Tim Lane on the broadcast saying like there were no turnstiles though there. So like <laughs> they just kind of like they just decide, all right, you know, there's, <laughs> there's about yeah, there's about eighty thousand yeah. in there. So, so let's go. Yeah, um, I mean, the, the conditions in India in those days, the pitches weren't too bad, but. When you first go in, that's when it's so tough. You need a bit of luck early on when the ball's spinning, your men around the bat, the crowd's roaring, the bowls are fizzing, the umpire's in the game. You know, that's when it's so difficult. If you can get through the first half an hour, you know, batting is, is okay. But those first uh, half, you know, first dozen or so deliveries, you need a bit of luck. You, you really yeah. do. And, if, you know, quite often you, that's why there's so many low scores because it's so tough when you first go in. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for those warm summer days. Pool season's coming soon, so I've been hitting the weights with Peloton and my guy Adrian Williams, trying to get my muscle on in order to expand my cannonball splash radius. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. It's easy to personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. And their expert coaches and non-stop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes 
while giving you the professional coaching you need. Shout out to Adriana Diti, Andy and Emma. I love you all so much. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, uh, let's go back to when you did very first go in for Australia in, in 91 in Adelaide there. You, you'd had a long wait to get into the test team and, and you know, under very unusual circumstances, you replace your brother in that lineup, but uh, yeah. then you just go out there and uh, stroke a, a hundred as if uh, you know you're just playing <laughs> backyard cricket again with the with the kids. I remember, you know, yeah. you take you took your helmet off and I, you know, Roger Federer. Whenever Roger Federer wins a Grand Slam, it looks like he's barely sweating. You took your helmet yeah. off as if it was like the easiest <laughs> run in the park. I mean, how much did it help you being a little bit older, a bit more mature, and and, and having to sort of bide your time so much, and, but also getting a taste playing for Australia in the one day games? Were you just so ready? Uh, for that for that moment in Adelaide in '91. Yeah, well, I thought I was ready 12 months earlier, but we'll, we'll say I was. It was perfect timing. But um, I think the main thing was I was in, in really good form. I'd scored a, a, about 3,000 first class runs that season, uh, if you count my county cricket with Essex. So yeah, I was really in in a rich vein of form. I think playing England uh, as well. I played against a lot of those guys in county cricket. I knew a lot of them, so I was quite comfortable playing against England and also batting at Adelaide Oval. As a batsman, that's probably you know one of your ideal scenarios to make a debut um, a test match. You know, on a good batting track, we'd lost early wickets in that yep. that particular day. I think three or four early ones. The hardest bit was batting with Greg Matthews, to be honest. He nearly <laughs> run me out about a hundred times. Um, that, that was the hardest bit of the innings. But um, as far as my own batting, it, it was I was sort of just in the zone, and uh, you know I don't think I hardly miss hit a ball, which doesn't happen yeah, too no. often, but. Nah, it happened that day, and I, just, I was just cruising. Really, I'm yeah. just in the zone. I don't know how I got into the zone, but I wish I got in there a few more times because it was just, um, yeah, just like automatic, you know, automatic pilot. Really, the way I played that day. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was. It was incredible <laughs> to watch, and um, you know, obviously that sort of really put you in the team. But then you did have some rough patches uh, after that. Not long after yeah. that, and. And, you know, this is what I really want to ask you, because in the 90s, in the early 90s, Australia had really good depth at that mid uh, mid sort of positions in the in the, in the Australian team. We guys like Damien Martin, you know, Blewett, Buff Lehman, Michael Bevan, Stuart Law, Jamie Cox. I mean, all these guys were making a ton of runs, and a couple of them did get a chance. You know, Marto got a chance for Australia there. Greg Blewett, yeah. I, I think Greg Blewett made uh, a century in both his first two tests, and he made that yeah. double down in Johannesburg too. But... Did you feel, you know, were you looking over your shoulder a bit there when you had a bit of a rough patch here and there because it was well, such a pool of talent we had? Not, not really. I mean, I've, I must have, when I got dropped, I was pretty surprised because I debuted against England, did well in those tests, went to the West Indies, yep. did well over there, came back home. I think I had two or three bad test matches against uh, India. I got, I got a couple of bad decisions too, but I, I was actually batting pretty well. So, I mean, I must admit I was surprised I got dropped. Yeah, uh, 
considering the start to my test career, and I, it wasn't that long into my test career, so I don't know who the bloody selectors were, but they had no idea <laughs> um, dropping me. But uh, <laughs> I must admit, I was pretty surprised yeah. when I got dropped. But you know, these things happen. You're right; there was a good, a lot of depth in um, the Australian squad. Uh, at that time, I think myself and Jeff Marsh got dropped in the same test match, and Tom Moody, yeah, and a guy called Wayne Phillips, I think from Victoria, oh, yeah. came in and took yeah, our spots. So, yeah, I think we had five Victorians in the team at that point because um, it was a bit of a bit of a flex of the muscles from the Victorians. We had Phillips, Dean Jones, Merv, uh, Warney was probably in the team, and uh, maybe yeah. Tony Dottomate as well. Maybe. Well, that that was the problem. Five Victorians. You know. <laughs> Should have been eight New South Welshmen. But uh, look, I must admit, I was, I was a bit surprised I got dropped. But anyway, these things happen and you, know, you just got to go back and score runs and get back in. So, And, and you did that. Uh, and then the, the tour in 93 uh, of England was, was another very good tour for you in, in general. Uh, I want to I take you, though, to a, a moment that, you know, probably a bittersweet moment at Lords. Um, you, were, you, were, you were batting along just effortlessly there. And uh, then Phil Tufnell comes in and, and he just gets one that sort of comes off your pads and onto the stumps. Yeah. 99 at Lords. I mean, uh, yeah. that's, that one's probably got uh, to hurt a little bit now still, does it? Yeah, I it mean, did. yeah. Yeah, um, it did hurt a bit, particularly the way I got out. As you say, Phil Tufnell was bowling over the wicket, didn't bowl a particularly good ball, and I just tried to flick it through the onside to get a single. Uh, earlier in the over, I did the same, hit it really well and hit Robin Smith's shin pads and cost me getting the single. So I just tried to do the same shot. Unfortunately, missed it, hit my pad, went through my legs onto the stump. So, yeah, that, that's, that hurts, especially at Lords and getting getting a 99 in any test match, but uh, yeah. particularly the, at the home of cricket. So, yeah, well, annoying. Look, if, it, if it's any consolation, I, I, it was uh, it was my deb night that night. I was in year 12, and uh, I had a bet with one of my friends that you were going to make 100 at Lords. Yeah. And so we were out the back watching it, and I'm just starting to count my money. I had 100 bucks <laughs> on it here. Uh, anyway, uh, the girls were looking for us. Like, where are the boys? Like, we were supposed to be doing some dances. We're out the back, you know. Then all of a sudden, they were out. Dance anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, not only did I lose the hundred bucks in the end, I think I lost my girlfriend as well that night. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I was the only one of the top four that didn't make a hundred that in that particular yeah. inning. So yeah, let, yeah. let the team down and let yeah. you down as well. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, fortunately i i recovered from it but uh it was it was one of those funny moments where i was like because because again it, it reminded me of adelaide it was like you were just scoring so easily um you know and, and i know that's that's one of the sort of things that that, that uh, followed your career people say well you know mark mark's too casual out there but um you know it wasn't that i know that i know i've read a lot and heard a lot about you like it was just the way that the game came to you and and, and i think i think a part of it was that it looked like you were sometimes halfway through a stroke before the bowler had even delivered the ball, especially <laughs> off your pads there. But, um, you know, what, what was it like for you hearing that sort of stuff and, 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 and you know, having to sort of be like, you know, that's, that's I'm not casual, yeah. I care, it means so much to me. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, it must be, it just must be well, tough, especially, especially when Steve had the opposite sort of reputation of like, you know, he's going to just bat until, you know, you almost have to shoot him to get him out, you know? Well, I mean, it's it's just it's just your style. It's, everyone looks plays in a different way, and obviously, I, you know, when you when your style is a bit casual looking, like a David Gower or Usman Khawaja, yeah. if you do get out, people think, oh, that's just a lazy shot. You, you know, you don't care, but that's just the way. You, it's just the way you play, and you, and you get labelled that um, in your career. It's hard to shake the label. I mean, Stephen was the opposite. He got labelled as being stodgy and yeah, 
and that used to annoy him. He used to think he was a bit more flamboyant than, than what he was uh, given credit for. Uh, I mean, the only thing I would change if I look back at my career was when I got to 100, you know, I often got out, got 120 and got out right? because I thought the job was done. But, you know, if I went back in time, I'd really nail those hundreds into 200s or, you know, big hundreds. So that was the only thing that sort of let, I let myself down. But um, if, if I thought the game was in control or the innings was in control and I'd got my 100, I'd subconsciously I just seemed to get out for some, yeah. you know, which was a bit frustrating looking back. But that, that's the way I played. But, yeah. you know, it certainly wasn't any easier to me than the other player. When, when you're no. batting, it's just, it's just your style. It's just the way you, you come across to other people. Well, you made 20 test centuries, but uh, 15 times when you scored a century, Australia won the match and there was four draws. There was only one time where you scored a century and Australia lost the match. Any idea which one it was? Um, geez, now you got me. Um, where we? No, no, I can't remember. Where, where uh, against Pakistan, you had 116. I think it was in Sydney, actually, uh, about 1996. Okay. Yeah. Okay, what, what, what did the rest of the other blacks do, weren't they? Uh, well, let me they check. I did, I, did, I did have it up here before. Um, hang on, that's, nice. that's New Zealand. That's that New Zealand here. I've got about a million tabs here still open nah, from, uh, from nah, all I, the I research. But, well, let's just blame uh, the other blacks. I did my part. They yeah, doing? yeah. Well, it, 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 was, it was a good century, but uh, that was... Um, yeah. Well, that was up against, you know, um, Wazim Akram, of course, and Waka Yunus. I mean, th- those guys as well, like... Was him, especially being the lefty. I mean, I, I'm guessing he was probably the toughest, uh, you know, non-right-hander that you had to face uh, throughout your career. Would that be right? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. You're right. He's, he's one of the finest bowlers too. You know, he bowled, he bowled quick. He could swing the ball. Uh, had a short run-up. He was hard to pick yeah. up. You know, he had a quick arm action. He'd often run behind the umpire, then jump out at the last minute. He had all the skills. So. He was fantastic, and Wacker Yunus was as well. He bowled quick. He was nasty. He could swing it as well. So they always almost ran off each other, a bit of a competition between each other so you could get the most wickets. So they were two um, fantastic bowlers, to be honest, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, was him I, – I mean, I know my Slats got 100 against Brisbane against the uh, Pakistan, but, uh, but Slats seemed to really struggle against Wasim with that late sort of in-swing. I mean – uh, you you probably wouldn't on, weren't on the ground at the same time then, but did you sometimes when you're in the box there, like going, oh, this guy's not going to make any today. He just can't play this guy. I mean, I know Bluey Bluey struggled with like Mushtak Ahmad as well. You know, with those um those, those revert or the uh, the googlies. I guess he was bowling to. I mean, is that is that something in the dressing room though? You're like, oh, I don't, just don't like this guy's chances against this player. No, uh, not really. I mean. No, yeah, I mean, you get a feel if blokes are in and out of form. There's right. no doubt about that. And everybody goes through it. So if it's not, you know, it's not if it's not yourself struggling, it's, it's going to be someone else. I mean, you've got six batsmen in the team. It's very rare that they're all in form at the one time. Right. So there's always one or two guys that, that are struggling on tours or in Australia. So, yeah, I mean, you do get a feeling for it, but you, you certainly just hope for the best for them and, and try and help them out in the nets or whatever if, if they're – feeling a bit down but um that's where you need a good team so you know you can't all be doing well at the one time but um if you're a good side you can carry players who are a little bit out of form yeah and uh you know obviously you spent a lot of your career playing with steve how did it change did your relationship change at all when he became captain i mean did you have to sort of uh you know i know you know you 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 just kept going as normal i mean what about when he made everyone wear the baggy green caps because you were you were the broad brim guy i mean did that uh cause any tension there no, not really. I, no, it's, our relationship didn't change once he was captain. Not, not really. No, he's 
But I'm just one of the team, and Stephen's one of the other team members as well. That's the way you got to play. You're not going to get any every favours off your brother, and you don't expect them. And yeah, so you just treat each other as another team member, and that's that's the best way to keep it. Um, obviously, you have those extra feelings being you know brothers and whatever. But um, yeah, you just you just you just playing. You're just one of the one of the team members, and, and that's the best way to keep it. I think. Well, Mark, listen, you've been very generous with your time here, so uh, I'm going to wrap it up here. But before we go, I've just got one more question for you, uh, and it's completely off the cricket fields. Back to the horses, because I know you're obviously uh, a, a big horse racing fan there. Yeah. Um, and I had Bruce McAvaney on this pod last year, and uh, obviously he's a, a huge horse racing fan as well. And so I pitched this fictional race to him, and I want to pitch it to you just to see who you think would win. So uh, imagine this. It's a Saturday afternoon at Rose Hill, beautiful day. Good track. Mm-hmm. The race is over 1,400 metres. And we've got uh, Winks versus Black Caviar. Uh, I don't know if you remember the Super Challenge back in 91, 92, Let's Elope and Better Loosen Up, but it's it's basically that mm-hmm. in a fictitious manner. Okay, we've got Luke Nolan on board, Black Caviar, Hugh Bowman on Winks, of course. Now, before I pitched it to Bruce, I asked a friend of mine who's a, who's a big punter as well. I said, you know, give me some, give me some odds. Give me a, some, some money lines here for this. And he's like, well, he says that the distance favoured Black Caviar, yes, a sprinter, but Winks needed another furlong or two, so he put Black Caviar at a dollar seventy and Winks at two twenty. So if Mark mm-hmm. War's got a few, uh, he's found five bucks down the uh, back of the couch and he can throw it on. Where, where's it going? Where's the money going? Oh, geez, great, great horses. Uh, I think fourteen hundred round Rose Hill. I think Black Caviar would lead and just have too much dash uh, for Winks. Winks would be winding up in the last hundred metres, but Black Caviar would just hang on and win. At a dollar seventy, so black caviar just. So you would have uh, you would have had a few winnings then that day if uh, if that race was to happen. Yeah, that's uh, that's the way I'd read it. But yeah, no, I've been involved in horse racing all my all my life. Obviously, my wife's a, a well established trainer. Uh, we have a farm on the central coast where we we spell our own horses. So there's forty odd horses on the farm. So horses in the backyard out here. When I'm looking at the back, um, it's just a huge part of my life. Obviously, cricket with the commentary still there. Fox Sports. But horse racing is, is huge for us. We own a lot of horses. Kim trains a lot of horses. She's had great success. So it's pretty exciting. I mean, I don't have the adrenaline rush of playing top-level sport uh, anymore, but I have the adrenaline rush of, you know, horses racing in big races, and it's a big thrill, actually, if, if you have some success. Yeah, and, and I guess, you know, when you're touring England um, or, you know, anywhere, really, if there's horse races, it gives you a, a little bit of an opportunity <laughs> to... No, but, I mean, you know, when you're, when you're on tour... I imagine that sometimes it gets a little bit tough when you're like you're a bit homesick yeah. or whatever, and uh, you know, so to be able to have something that's another passion of yours nearby, yeah. I, I imagine that's a lot of fun, especially if you're at a Royal Ascot, yeah. um, you know, yeah. some Derby wherever. Well, I've seen a lot of race courses overseas on cricket tours, um, Royal Ascot, but Barbados in the West Indies, it's one yeah. of the my favourite race courses to go to. Actually, the Barbados Cup was on there a number of times when we were, we were touring, so I've been to race courses there, India. England, New Zealand. There's not a race course I haven't been doing in another country. So, hey, have you been you know, to the Ricky, Ricky Ponting? His nickname's Punter. So, yeah. you know, he was always keen on the races as well. So, yeah, it was always always a good uh, a good way to to stop thinking about the cricket. Yeah, is he still? He, he was the big greyhound uh, man, wasn't yeah. he, Punter? Yeah, he was. He... He's, he's had a, he's had a few horses too. He's had a few horses. Right. My wife's trained. And he's had shares in. So, right. He, he's an all rounder. He loves greyhounds and and the, the thoroughbreds as well. I hope you're getting a commission off those uh, that he's investing there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is the uh, Kentucky Derby or any of the the US horses at all on your on your radar? I mean, obviously not right now. Things things aren't uh, great, but yeah, at some point. 
Yeah, we'd love to, to come to the Kentucky Derby. So it's definitely on the, the to-do list when we can get out of our own country. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think Kentucky's a beautiful part of the world. A lot of the, the studs up there and obviously the Kentucky Derby. So, yeah, definitely want to get there one day. All right, well, Mark, this has been uh, fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed uh, talking to you about uh, so many fantastic moments in your career. And uh, and look, uh, hopefully, yeah, you can you can get out and get over to the Kentucky Derby and yeah. uh, you know pack a few winners from there one day. All right, Lee, good to talk to you, mate. I've lost my voice now for talking so much. So <laughs> good stuff. Thanks, Mark. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.